0: Good. Well, uh, good to have you guys with us. Glad that you're here. Uh, Just if you're visiting, we're just uh, really uh, thankful that you're here as just a a visitor. Maybe you came with a friend or don't know how uh, you kind of landed here. But either way, uh, we just want you to know that that this gathering of people, uh, what we're doing here is simply uh, worshiping, worshiping a a person who who is God, who came, who lived, who died, who rose, and who conquered Satan, sin, and death and offers rescuing, redemption, ransoming from sin and uh, gifts us life uh, through himself. And that person is Jesus. And so I want you to know that we love Jesus here, that we worship Jesus here, that we talk about Jesus here. And um, if I could just remind us as, as how appropriate this is with just the, the events of a number of uh, passing weeks and months. And really, if you've just existed in, in this world at all, you know that it's filled with fracture and brokenness, with shootings and violence and murder and chaos and deceit and false beliefs and, and all of that. And so uh, just know, as we, as we go throughout our weeks and as we see uh, horrific acts of sin, we can call it sin, we can call it evil, as we, as we see those things, understand that we believe the answer over and over again will be Jesus Christ crucified and risen. So we're going to keep saying that. So as you uh, hear a lot about, hey, we need better gun control, yeah, that, that's good and that's important, but we're going to say Jesus louder than that. As we hear about, we need this person in president, we need this change in government, we need this legislative, we, we believe that is helpful and appropriate. We should pray for those things. We're going to say louder than all those things, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. So he's the only one that can cure the sin, sickness, in the human soul. So unless that gets fixed, it doesn't matter what we do or what we change. Those are just going to be band-aids that kind of make us feel better for a season but never have everlasting change, okay? And so that's what we're after. So we want you it this morning, whether you're a new Christian, if you've been a Christian for your whole life, or you're skeptical or doubting or unsure of all of this, we want you to know about Jesus and And who he is and what he's done. And so um, it's appropriate as we're in what's called Advent season. Um, If you're a part of the Christian faith, it's where we celebrate and remember the arrival of a very important, notable person, which was Christ. He he came, but we're awaiting the second Advent, right, where he will come again a second time, and he will be the just and justifying judge of all humanity. He rules and reigns now, and he will fully enact that ruling and reigning in a new Jerusalem with his people who have trusted and leaned on him for salvation alone. So uh, it's great that we're in the season of Advent walking through Luke. Okay because we're looking at the life of the one who came, okay before he rose again from the dead, ascended and we wait his return now. But what we're looking at here in the Gospel of Luke as we walk through this book is we are looking at the life of Jesus. Okay, we're looking at the life of from his first advent and we're going to get into his death, into his resurrection, ascension, but all the while we're waiting and longing for Jesus to return. So as we see mass violence and killings in the name of other gods and other things and out of the sickness of the human heart, we say, come Lord Jesus. Right? We're awaiting his, his advent again uh, and, and all will be good. So um, let's ask him to ready our hearts this morning and, and prepare us uh, by his grace. Lord, we ask that you would you'd speak this morning. God, that you'd help us to have ears to hear, help us to have eyes to see. We realize that as we sit in this room, there, there's, a, there's a spiritual deeply spiritual element to this in that there are certain things that, that need to happen solely by your grace. Um, God, there are other things that we are we're called to do, we are asked to do, we're asked to participate in and Father, we ask that you would do the, the things that, that only you allow, that only the things that you will enable. So God, give us sight, give us hearing, give us willing hearts, grow desire in us for you, grow, grow in us a longing for Christ, help us to leave more longing for him than we did when we entered this room. God, may he be our comfort, our our drive, our treasure. Father, there's so many things vying for the altar of our hearts, and we need your gracious, kind work. Father, I pray particularly this morning that we would be thankful for the great debt that existed, that Jesus stepped in and paid in full, and that that would be sweet to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well Luke chapter 7, we are actually going to finish Luke chapter 7 this morning. Funny, I know you're all laughing because, because I said last week I was going to finish chapter 7. That would have been insane. So I got some of your guys' emails going, yeah, I was going to look how you're going to tie John the Baptist to the woman coming and wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. And I was like, yeah, I, I, so I apologize if in the middle of the sermon you were waiting for me to finish chapter, chapter 7, and I didn't. And I stopped short. That was never the intention. So we are going to finish chapter 7 this morning. Uh, we're in a beautiful uh, passage here, and here's what um, we're Going to see, Jesus is going through uh, doing his life and ministry, preaching, teaching, healing. Uh, he's, he's calling people to repentance. He's displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's showing how forgiveness of sin happens compared to what the religious leaders of the day are saying. They're saying you got to obey laws, you have to be morally right, you have to follow our standard. And, and Jesus is showing you that no, I actually, love those who are keenly aware of grace and their need for forgiveness. And so, those who come to me, regardless of their background, regardless of their past, regardless of how dirty and defiled they seem, there's forgiveness and mercy at the cross for you, right? So that's the, that's the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've seen Jesus raise the dead to life. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him uh, take the paralyzed uh, boy and get him off his mat. We've seen him give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. So we've seen all these things. We've even seen him forgive sin in Luke chapter 5. But here's what you're going to see more than just him forgiving sin. Okay, you're going to see that he pays a debt. Okay, that's what Jesus is going to get after this morning is that, that it's not just forgiveness, okay, there's a debt that still remained there. See, see, here's the beauty of, of, of forgiveness and, and paying the debt. If you're forgiven of a debt, okay, uh, that person who forgives you incurs that, right? So that debt doesn't, like, go away. It doesn't vanish. It's still lingering out there. Okay, someone has to step in and then pay it off. Okay, so we're going to see Jesus kind of through this example of this uh, sinful woman. And we'll see a lot more, I'm sure, uh, by his spirit that he'll, he'll reveal. But uh, let's start at verse 36 where uh, our, our good friends, the Pharisees, jump back on the scene. They're always on the scene in different ways. Uh, this particular one is named Simon. And uh, he's going to invite Jesus over for a meal after the Sunday sermon. Look at what he says. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, so uh, the all-familiar Pharisee gets back on the scene. Now, if, if you're just, just as a reminder, the Pharisees were like kind of the guardians of the law of the day. They were the ones, who they kind of set the standard for you to live by, okay, but they were super proud, super arrogant, super self-righteous, okay, they thought that you had to kind of follow all these things. They all had a scribe, they listened to their scribe, they're kind of like the, the minions that taught all the things the scribe had taught them, okay, so it's kind of this hierarchy type of thing. And so um, this Pharisee who's really religious, really moral, really all about the law, all about following and being good he invites Jesus over for dinner now understand the the group of Pharisees and scribes these guys were so close with each other okay They, they knew all the gossip they knew all the all the things going on they knew about the synagogue days all over everybody communication traveled really quick so everybody was fully aware of the inn okay so so this Pharisee in particular there's no reason to think this Pharisee is like unaware of Jesus Okay, are unaware of their whole desire against Jesus, and and that's why uh, to set the scene, I want you to understand a few things. Um, One is, it's pretty custom for uh, someone to invite a rabbi or a teacher over for a meal after the sermon or after the the day of synagogue, which was on a Saturday at this point, right? So it's like, you know, you invite your preacher over for a Sunday meal. I'm still waiting for those. Right to to happen, so 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 no, I really I really not because because all of you that invite me over all the time that I say no to are really angry at that. So no, I, I love you. So no, I, you guys are so gracious. You, you you offer food all the time. I know. Okay, so joke, so here here we go. So that's the idea, right? You you invite someone. They're they're an honored guest. They come to your house. They have a meal. They share that time. So so this was very common. But but here's what you can. Some people say, which I totally disagree with, I don't think this Pharisee somehow like, wanted to befriend Jesus and have good, honest conversation and kind of get to know him and you know, uh, really kind of see what truth is and what's not. I think he absolutely was intentional in trying to catch Jesus in words and exploit him. Because that's what they did. So understand, the, the surrounding belief with the Pharisees and scribes at this point is that Jesus is a blasphemer. Right, go back to Luke 5, right, because anytime Jesus claims to forgive sin, what's he doing? He's claiming to do something only God can do. So they're going, well, this guy isn't God, so he can't claim to forgive sin, so he's a blasphemer. Okay, so, so what he's doing, I think he's having him over to his house to try to catch him in his words. Trying to find something out about Jesus that he can indict him for. Because ultimately, they're going to be the ones who help murder him, Right. Okay, so we're gonna see this work its way all the way up, all the way up. And so uh, this Pharisee clearly has motive. We can't look into his heart. We don't know all the reasons, but there's a reason he's having him over for a meal. And it says here that, and that this is what's awesome. Jesus knows that, right? Jesus is God, right? He's omniscient. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing what he always does. He's gracious, he goes anyways. Even though he knows the intentions of this man are right, he goes anyways over to, over to the house. And Luke says he's reclining at the table. Now, this is important. Um, this is like a long meal. is isn't a pit stop at Burger King or getting a, a takeout drive-through. This is a long time. This is a normal type of meal on an afternoon after a worship gathering where it wasn't just the celebrity preacher, the rabbi, whoever they would have over as an honored guest, the, the scribes and teachers, they would do that. But um, they would let anyone else in. Okay, so they would say, there were, there were poor people that come off the street and they would try to like find food from the meal to take home to their families. There were just curious people they'd wander in and be like, hey, I want to kind of eavesdrop and listen to this conversation about real religious guys and hear the banter back and forth about what's true and what's not true. Okay, so, so this was a place that was very common. Now, the people that didn't enter these gatherings were the sinners. And I don't mean sinners like those without sin because there's no one without sin. I mean the ones kind of on the catalog Okay, for the scribes and Pharisees, the ones who, were, who they kind of declared as sinful, those who didn't follow the law and did certain things and didn't do certain things. And so um, they're reclining. So this is a long gathering. And, and further, they wouldn't sit in like a chair with their feet under the table. Okay, because feet were super dirty. You'd walk around through, through manure and through other things and your bare feet. So when you came in, you kept your feet as far away from the table as possible. Now, some of you guys are like, I wish my own family kept their feet, you know, far away from the table as possible. It just reeks, right, when they take their shoes off. So here's what happens is they would lay on these lounges with their arms on the table and their feet were as far away from the food, okay? So it's, it's away from this, It's not under the table. It's going to help you. Because when I first read this years ago, I'm going, man, how did the lady crawl under the table without bonking her head and make her way over to Jesus' feet? No, his feet were behind him. They were out of view. They were away from where they were eating. And and this is kind of the scene that's happening. Lots of people are gathering, I'm sure, because Jesus is at this guy's house now. Everybody wants to know what the Pharisee Simon and him are going to talk about. Religious rulers are there. It's probably a pretty crowded house. And look what Luke says here. He says, a woman of the city. And then he gives her a category who was a sinner, when she learns that Jesus was at Simon's house, the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Okay. So you gotta you gotta see it. Okay. A lot of religious people, a lot of people think they're morally good, a lot of people just want to eavesdrop, listen in on conversation. There are a lot of people welcome. Okay. The poor are welcome. The religious are welcome. The curious are welcome. But, but, but here comes someone Who's not welcome and not invited. Okay? And and Luke says she's a sinner. Later, the Pharisees gonna label her as a sinner. Okay, there that's the catalog for basically really promiscuous. Okay, so that's on the female side, sinner basically meant you were loose, you, were, you, you slept around. You, we don't know exactly what she did, but maybe prostitution, maybe some things like this. But she was someone who was clearly living a public and moral life. She probably felt a lot of shame, a lot of disgust from people. She probably got her nose tipped up out. Okay, everyone knew who this woman was. Everyone knew that she was not someone they ever expected to walk in a Pharisee's house. Okay, because it was a public disgrace, it was, it was outrage that this woman would come into a gathering like this because she's dirty, she's defiled. And the Pharisees prided themselves in not letting, letting dirty people in their homes. They didn't want to get on them. They thought sin was something that would attach to you off of someone else like a disease. They didn't know it was in your heart. They didn't know that sin started here. It wasn't something you catch from someone. You catch it the day you're born. Right? So they didn't they didn't get that at all. So here the Pharisees are in here, and he doesn't see her yet. She walks into this room, not invited, not welcomed, and you bet she's feeling the weight of judgment from people, right? Looking around. Is that is that her? Is that the prostitute? Is that the really loose girl? Is that the promiscuous girl? You, you can feel that. That's what's happening as she as she walks in. She's not welcome. She's considered dirty, and she's not randomly stopping by like she's not popping her head in just kind of out of curiosity we're going to see why i believe she's she's already forgiven at this point she's coming to to see jesus and adore him she's coming to just give him praise and be generous to him that's so why she's bringing her perfume. Now, obviously, women at that time, it was very common to have a, a bottle with perfume and ointment. It was also very common for prostitutes to do that. So Both women would smell nice, be nice and appealing to men. And here she's bringing her perfume, which is common. It's in an alabaster glass. glass and, and picture this. She, she walks and she's not welcome. And, and I don't know what time it is. I don't know what it looks like. But you can imagine her kind of like skimming along the walls looking for Jesus, she finally makes her way over to him, right? She's behind him. His feet are out, right, behind him. She finally makes her way over. She she can just feel people looking at her. She knows that they're just critics in their head. She knows they're all thinking you shouldn't be here. And here's what's amazing. As she gets close to Jesus and sees him, the emotion of, knowing who he is and knowing the patterns of her life and who she was causes her to just start weeping. She just starts bawling. Okay, now now this is I mean and she starts bawling so much so that as her as her tears are falling she realizes Jesus' feet are dirty. Okay? That's how we first know that he wasn't an honored guest. That was outright rude. Okay, it was totally custom, you brought someone to your house, the first thing you would do if you had an honored guest was you would have your servant or your slave go wash their feet. So this Pharisee didn't even have someone wash Jesus' feet. Okay, so he's not there to have nice conversation and invite him in like he loves him. He totally wants to act, exploit him and find him, catch him something in his words and so she sees his feet are dirty, so she realizes, well, there's no water here, no one's washed his feet, so she starts letting her tears fall on his dirty, disgusting feet. Okay, and as they're falling, then she realizes, well, I don't have a towel anywhere, right? That was another thing you would do is you'd always bring a towel to to wash and dry the feet. So she undoes her hair, another scandalous act, okay? That was looked at as shameful. If you let your hair down, you were seen as promiscuous and a prostitute. That was reason for a divorce according to the Pharisaic law system. So listen, she's not disobeying the scripture, Okay, she might not be following the, the law of the Pharisees and the scribes, but she's doing nothing unbiblical, nothing wrong. She lets down her hair, another shameful act, and she starts drying and cleaning Jesus' dirty feet with her hair. And then the emotion's welling up so much that she just starts kissing his feet. This is more than just like lips on his feet. Okay, this is grasping, this is holding, this is this is hugging, holding on to deep rooted affection. Then it's so much so that she looks at her ointment that she probably wanted just to anoint on Jesus' head because that was customary to, to show generosity, love for someone. She just starts dumping it all over his feet. A social disgrace. Is this not the paradox that happens when you as a believer meet Jesus and see Jesus and get close to Jesus you are so aware of how righteous he is and you're so aware of your own life. You're so keenly aware of your imperfections and how dirty and defiled you are that, that it, emotion just starts welling up in you, right? Just, just gratitude, just thankfulness, right? That's what, well, that's what should Right, and that's, that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing in this picture, the picture of the sinner meeting the righteous son of God, going, man, I was so dirty, he's so clean, and he made me clean. I just want to adore him. I just want to thank him. I just want to throw myself at him. This is, this is not some sick, twisted, erotic thing, okay? This is just passion, good, God-centered, passionate love for Jesus, and, and she's just overwhelmed at his forgiveness towards her. She's overwhelmed at that she was so sinful and so aware of her need for forgiveness and cleansing. How ironic that now her, Luther called it, it's funny, he's like the most common one in, the, in this section. Martin Luther said these were like his heart, her heart tears. that are pouring out of her face. How ironic that those are the ones that are washing over the dirt of Jesus when he's cleansed her from all her dirt and all her defilement. And she's just wiping and I mean, can you imagine being in this room knowing what you know, watching this? So she's publicly acknowledging it. Right? She's not ashamed of her love for Jesus, is she? She's not afraid to show how much she appreciates and loves her forgiveness from him. She knows who, she, she knows who he is. And at this point you bet everyone in the room is going, is anyone going to say anything? Anyone going to speak up? I mean, does, does Jesus know? I mean, hold on. Why is a promiscuous woman, how does she know Jesus? Is he a closet pimp? Right? I'm serious. Right? The, these are the thoughts going through their head. I mean, hold on a second. How is does, how does, their connection there? How is he the only one that she's going up to? And as everyone's thinking the same thing, the shock is so strong that the only thing that Simon the Pharisee can do is think it in his head before he can say it out loud. So he has a private thought, not a public confession, okay? This is all a, a private thought. He, all he can do is think in his head before verbalizing what he wants to say. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. There's that word, category. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon. Interesting, that's where we get his name. Luke didn't reveal it until now. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Okay, so I love this. Simon the Pharisee is, is watching all of this and it's causing his skin to curl. He can't handle it. Because okay? he's so self-righteous, he's so arrogant, he's so prideful. He's not even aware of spaces in his heart that are so defiled and dirty. That all he can do is look at this woman who is in a, a promiscuous woman who was in adultery, who was sleeping around, doing whatever she was doing, and just get so angry at Jesus for not doing anything about it. It's amazing. So as he, as he sits here... I think there's a number of things. I think there's satisfaction in him. And there's a lot of disgust. A lot of anger. Because he wants both of those, right? He wants the satisfaction of knowing that Jesus really isn't the Messiah. He wants to catch Jesus and doing something that can help him, indict him, and call him out. So I think he thinks this is his chance. This is his opportunity. And so he thinks in his head, man if this guy, Jesus, really were from God, if he was really a prophet, then wouldn't he know who this woman is who's touching him? I mean, mean, wouldn't he know how scandalous she is? Wouldn't he know how dirty she is? I mean, wouldn't he have some sort of wisdom that doesn't come from the world? Wouldn't he know? Isn't that what a prophet's supposed to do? Right? And here's what's so ironic. (laughs) Simon's sitting there thinking jesus has no idea who this woman is well jesus sits there and knows he's thinking that right i just picture jesus going man still going all right still going and he just knows that he is thinking this and so jesus demonstrates his omniscience as god by answering simon's thought okay he doesn't he doesn't answer his public profession he answers a thought Simon's just at the table thinking this, I'm sure with a smile. It's what religious people do. Everything's always good. Yeah, but I hate you inside. Right? That's what they do. I mean, they just judge you. They're a critic in their head. That's all the, they, they're never aware of their own sin. They always just smile at you and act like everything's great. And internally, they are just judging you and condemning you and criticizing you. And that's what Simon is doing here. And now, before we um, just go after Simon with our sword. Um, This is such a good warning for probably all of us, right? Um, We we are so good at guarding our actions and our mouths. We totally forget that God sees every last internal word and thought, right? So we look really great on the outside. We participate in everything. We show up to everything. We even act nice to everybody, but internally it's a train wreck. I think this is a really good, good word for us to consider. And this is why we have to understand there are only two kinds of people. Because look at what Simon's doing. Simon is somehow buying the lie that there are like pretty good people and then just really sinful people. No, there, there's holy people and unholy people. Righteous people and unrighteous people. Okay, Jesus is the only one in the category of righteous people. Okay, everybody else is in the unholy, sinful, self-worshipping, self-glorifying, adulterous, lying, thieving. Okay, that's every. Okay, everybody, Jesus is the only one in this category. So Simon has somehow deceived himself and removing himself going, hey, she's the sinner. She's the outcast. I'm the holy guy. Right? So now these two categories, somehow Simon fits with Jesus, doesn't know it's Jesus. But he thinks he fits in the God category and everybody else is out here. A lie that many of us buy, right? I mean, according to the Paris Hiltons and the Hitlers and the Bin Ladens, I mean, I'm like, look at me, right? Well, they both deserve hell. They're both condemning to eternal, lasting, conscious punishment and separated from God. And the self-righteous, arrogant pride is just as damning as the outright, wicked, external action. Right? So so we're we're seeing this clearly here. And so he's sitting there, and he's, he's calling her a sinner, thinking he's all okay, he's really good, he's totally right. And that's why the really proud, the really arrogant, the really religious people, they always see other people's sin. And they never see their own. And this is why the God of the universe will say, the only group of people I'm actively opposed to are the proud the arrogant. Man, those who are humble, those who are aware that they're imperfect, those who are aware that they need grace, man, I love, I'm for, I extend grace, mercy, kindness. That's why Jesus will constantly show great grace, love, and mercy to those who are aware of their need for it. And he'll constantly go after the Simon at the table. So here we're, we're, we're seeing others of this. So, so listen, I get there's two camps now. There, there are people, some of you guys are like, man, I really identify with a woman. Some of you are like, man, I really identify with Simon. And I love this. Notice Jesus' life. Is, okay, because here's the thing. At this point, Simon could probably catch Jesus in some sort of like scandalous act with this prostitute, right? Like, yeah, well, that must be why they have this affection for each other, because Jesus really is involved with her. Here's the thing his life has been so perfect. He has demonstrated such perfect obedience that he can't even use that as an accusation against Jesus. So he can't say, oh well he must be promiscuous with this woman. He has to think it's just unintentional sin. Just unawareness. I love it. He can't even accuse Jesus of doing that. Because Jesus' life up until this point has been so pure and so right. And so, so the thought that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is even possibly engaged with this woman isn't even a thought in his head. Even his one, of his one of his most hated critics. I think that's amazing. Okay, so here the shock is so strong that he thinks in his head. And here I love this. Jesus reads Simon's mind and he's going to basically play with him a bit. Love Jesus. He's got a sense of humor. He basically looks at him, he's like, all right, Simon, so you're a teacher, right? You're a pretty good one, right? Let's start with first grade. (laughs) Let me give you just a real basic, simple, first graders in the room? Okay, yeah, you guys know it? Let's go, let's go. So here he starts with an elementary school lesson, verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. That's just a day's wages, a denarii. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more, Simon answered. The one, I suppose, for whom he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Simple story, Simon. Uh, There are two guys. They need some money. So there's a money lender. One borrows 500 days wages. One borrows 50. And neither of them can pay the lender back. So the lender says, hey, I'm going to forgive both your debts. Okay, now which one is more grateful? (laughs) Which one loves... The forgiveness more. Which one is welling up with gratitude more? The guy who owed 500 denarii or 50? Okay, now, if we're in the room, right, and we have a a grade level above kindergarten, we know. Right? Is it not interesting that, that he is asking such a basic story to such a religious guy? And Simon responds, I think, a bit sarcastic, and I think he's like waiting for like the ambush. Like, really? This is what you're. This is what you're asking me? Well, I suppose. I mean, not to be Captain Obvious, but I mean, the one who owed the larger debt, right? And Jesus says, Yeah, Simon, you're you're right. Jesus, he just wanted to establish an idea that they both agreed on. That's why he makes it so basic. Before he goes any further, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Okay? You said this. I didn't. You answered the question, right? So it's on Simon now. Simon said out of his own mouth, the one who had the larger debt, clearly, Jesus, obviously, Obviously, if you're forgiven a bigger debt, obviously you're going to have more love for the forgiver. So Jesus is like, okay, good, good. Now we're on this mutual understanding, great forgiveness. but forgiven a lot, causes a lot of great love, huge love, welling up love. So then he says this, Simon, do you see this woman? He turns to the woman now. She's behind him. He's leaning on the table. He probably turns away from Simon. Hey, do you see, do you see her? He now turns Simon's eyes to the woman and says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with any oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. I would hate to be Simon. I mean, I I hated being me reading this. (laughs) Right? So he says, hey, Simon. He said really to all of us, hey, Brad, Mike, Jake, Bill, John, Sarah. Hey, do you see her? No, no, do you see her? I don't mean no, she's there. I mean, do you see her? Do you see a broken, contrite humbled wicked sinner who is finding forgiveness who's finding righteousness who's finding wholeness who's finding redemption at the feet of someone who is so grateful that that just it doesn't even make sense the type of actions coming out of her like it's almost bizarre it's almost a little strange she's kissing my feet Like she's dumping expensive perfume on my feet. It seems a little bit bizarre, a little bit weird, but but do you see her? Listen, I came in. You showed no love for me. You didn't even offer me to clean my dirty feet. You didn't offer me any water. She gave me her own tears. You didn't give me a towel. She gave me her hair. You didn't give any oil to anoint my head. She gave her most expensive ointment. You gave me nothing. He's going, but but this woman who you're judging, who you're condemning, who you're criticizing, do you not see the love she has for me? Do you not see the depth of her understanding of her forgiveness that is welling up in great love? You just said it yourself. Those who have been forgiven a lot have a lot of love for those who forgive. Do you not see a picture of it right here, Simon? Are you not looking at it? In these actions of this woman? I mean, she's, a, she's just a public display of the good news. See, love for Christ is one of the most accurate, visible displays of your understanding of your sin and his forgiveness for your sin. So what's your love for Christ like? Is it deep? Is it welling over? Or are you so hard hearted and cynical and judgmental that you never look at you? You don't really have any love for Christ. You think you do, and you're in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, but you're really just heaping judgment, not even touched. Are you apathetic? Are you complacent? This woman's so aware. Of her need for Christ and the forgiveness that Jesus has given to her. She's the person who was forgiven 500. Who's the person who was forgiven 50? Simon. In theory. He didn't have any righteousness to his plate yet. But in theory, in the story, he's the guy who owed 50. And and I, I, as I'm reading this, I'm just thinking first. This speaks to so many of us today, doesn't it? And, and listen, this is not across the board. So I don't think I'm making this like, vindictive statement that's true of everybody and everything. But, but majorly, is it not true, those of us, I'm in this camp, we have grown up hearing the truths of Christ, grown up hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, we see lots of baptisms, lots of salvations. We grow up, our family teaches of it. It's in the doorposts, over our frames. They're reading us Bible stories before bed. Is, is it not true that we are sometimes kind of the people who are, where love is just lacking, then you see the person who was outright wicked, living the adulterous affair, drug addict, lying, cheating, crooked. So aware of their need for grace, man, love is just welling over. They're just so consumed with the grace shown them. They're like I can't, can't believe that a God who's righteous, who who deserve, I deserve condemnation and hell and separation. Man, He would actually send Jesus to be my place and be my substitute and extend grace and mercy, have His blood shed for me and pay the debt for me. And man. I mean, we see that today, don't we? To a degree. I'm not saying everyone is like that. I'm saying it is pretty consistent. This really speaks to the the warning for us to just become apathetic and just enjoying the gospel because we've always heard it, with forgetting the depth and riches and beauty of it. I mean, there are times, that's why I love new Christians, they're so good for the soul. I don't care if they have all the theology just right. man. They just love people, want to see them rescued from hell. They just want to know what's true. Teach me. They're just sponges wanting to learn. Then somehow as we grow in our intellect, grow in our knowledge, we start pushing and resisting. Oh, he can't teach me. What does he know? Well, you're as dumb rocks as he is. Right? I mean, wh- and yet the humble learner going, man, I, I need to learn more. I want to know more. I want to grow in grace. I want to be humble. I want to- May God make us that, those types of people? we got to make this church a Philippians 2 church. It just looks at the humility of Jesus and humbles themselves and realizes that we don't know everything and you'll never know everything and you've got it all figured out and Christ is the only one who has it figured out. And that's why he's the chief shepherd senior pastor and you're not and I'm not. So good for us today. In verse 47, you got to catch this. It literally reads her sins which are many have been forgiven. It's perfect tense. This has already happened. It's an act that's presently continuing. He's not saying, hear me, he's not saying because she loves me a lot, now she's forgiven of sin. Okay, that's morality, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's workspace religion, that's everything else outside of Christianity. He's saying your love, because you're loving much, that is demonstrative of that you've been forgiven. Yes, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins that were many. I love that he includes that. Your sins that were many. You have been forgiven. (laughs) Now we don't know when that happened. I wish we could have some insight into that. When she first realized her sin and met Jesus and repented and believed. And now she's coming into this house intentionally looking for the one who she heard was at the Pharisee's house going, I just want to adore him. I just want to worship him. I just want to thank him again. Powerful. Her guilt and shame is gone. She's got new longings now. Not longings for identity and worth with men and a promiscuous life, but identity in Jesus where he has found her and he has her, and she is his very riches that she literally is hidden with Christ that that Christ sees her not as dirty and defiled and shamed but as beautiful and righteous as his very son it's amazing and Jesus affirms her state of forgiveness in the next verse he just says to her and he said to her your sins are forgiven that's again perfect tense other translations will say yes your sins have been forgiven Jesus is just affirming it. He's going, Hey, sweetheart, sweetheart, yeah, yeah. I know you're back at my feet. Your sins are forgiven. It's okay. Yes, yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you've left that life. Yes, you've clung to Christ. And yes, you're living a new life. <laughs> then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Well, who is this? Look at the difference. I feel like it's me guys I feel like it's me I'm bothered by how it happened there's some people like that in here we're not overjoyed at the conversion we're bothered by how it happened Well, we went an altar call "Ah, how do we really know that but they're evidencing a new life in Christ they love Jesus they love the scriptures they're hungry for the things of God well I don't really like how the gospel is presented well Listen, God's bigger than your presentation. And, and he transforms the heart and uses bad gospel presentations to save and sanctify sinners. He's the one in charge of it anyways. He's the one who, who sovereignly saves anyway. So we're, we're used, we're, we're vessels, we sow the seeds, but God makes it grow. So let's just be careful that we don't fall into this. Because I did, and I am. Okay, so I'm in this. No one else is probably with me, but I'm in this, so here, here, here's what it is. Then those who are at the table, the religious at the table, are sitting there saying to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Hey, let's talk about what that really looks like, man. Who is this guy? Let's discuss in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Let's not rejoice over the fact that a woman who was lost in sin is found. A woman who was felt so shamed and dirty is now made righteous. Let's not rejoice in that. Let's just talk about it. Can he really do this? Does he have authority to do this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. What well, good news? Go in peace. It's always a question of how can Jesus forgive sin? You saw it in Luke 5, right? When he raised the man on the mat up from the, from the bed and then he, he forgives sin, but he, he gives this great analogy, hey, which is harder? Raise him up from the dead, tell him to walk or forgive sin? Well, to forgive sin, because you can't visibly see it. So these people are always going, well, who can forgive sin? What's the answer? God alone forgives sin. Well, what's the answer? Jesus is God, because he forgives sin. But they never like that. But here, they're going, who can forgive sin? Because what's the evidence that her sins have been forgiven, her transformed life? It's evidence that God has forgiven her sin in Christ, that Christ has forgiven her sin because she's walking new. They can see it in some way. This is not the same woman. Who used to run the streets? She's found a greater delight, a greater treasure. You know, there's no other main belief system, anything, where the God of that system says, I am God and I forgive sin. They all tell you how you can pay God back. You can suffer, you can reincarnate, you can say your chants, you can do more prayers. The God of the Bible is the only God through Christ who says, as Jesus, fully God, fully man, I am God and I forgive sin. Thank you, Lord, that we have a Savior that can say that. That He's not just God and unaware, it makes you do something or point the finger. He says, and I forgive sin. A- amazing. And love for Christ, again, is one of the greatest visible evidences the gospel's taken root in your heart. It's taken root in her heart. Then Jesus says this to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I love it. Guys, her faith saved her, not her love for him. Her faith It's always been your faith that saves you. It's always been not your works, not your merit, nothing you do. It is your faith in. And it's not just you being devout or you being religious or having faith. It's not about you just believing in something or believing in spirituality. It's it's what's the object of your faith in. And this woman, her faith was in the Jesus Christ. He says your faith has saved you because your faith is not in how good you are or how much you abstain or how you uphold the law like these moral, moral, moral religious teachers are treating you. It's your faith is in me. Your faith has saved you. That faith saves because it's in Jesus Christ. Now go in peace. I just want to end here by just um, taking some self-inventory. Because there's a ton, but we'll just do a few. Um, Let's end by just taking a a little bit of personal stock, just for a minute. Um, What if the God of the universe, who's holy, righteous, and just, knows all things. What if every month he sent you a ledger? An account. And he just listened word, thought, and deed all of your sin. Okay? Hmm. Man, you, yeah, you were a little dishonest there this week. Hey, the Holy Spirit was prompting you to open your mouth and talk about the gospel with that neighbor and you didn't do it. You didn't follow his leading. Oh, man, yeah, you were really coveting that, that, that friend of yours. Yeah, that, that member of the church that you're in. You really won't forgive or you, you list. It goes on and on. Yeah, that, that stuff that you are staring at on your computer screen every single day. Just list, list, list. And then at the end of the month, what's your debt look like? My debt's pretty tall. Uh, what if he said, hey, who's going to pay that? Got a lot of debt there. we got to reconcile these accounts. Any of you guys who are accounting? CPAs? Yeah, you got to reconcile this account. Got to do something about it. Even him saying, hey, I forgive you for it. Someone's got to reconcile this account. The debt's still there. The debt doesn't go away. And guys, we, we've got to understand, I mean, just the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, this gives us a window into the forgiveness of God. Because listen, when God says to you, when God says, hey, I forgive you of your sin." Okay, you know what our debt was? The right wrath towards us in our sin from God because he cannot stand sin. He is perfectly holy. We are not. And then just condemnation, separation, conscious, eternal torment apart from him for all of living eternity. Okay, that's the right debt to be paid for our sin. And he goes, hey, yes, I forgive you, but hey, this debt that stands here, I mean, someone's got to pay for it. What is Jesus revealing in here? Jesus is revealing that he's the one who steps in and pays the debt off. Like, yes, God forgives you of sin, but someone's got to pay the debt off. And Jesus, the holy, righteous son of God, who is fully man, comes and lives your life of perfect obedience that you can't live, dies as a substitute in your place because you should take that, you should absorb that. He absorbed it for you. Then he dies, he kills it in the grave, rises, validating that your debt's paid in full. Three sweetest words in all the Bible, it is finished, right? You got no more debt. Like your debt's paid off. Imagine if someone came to you and said, hey, you got all this mortgage. Left. I forgive you for the mortgage. Well, that guy still has to pay off your mortgage. And then someone else comes along and says, hey, I'll pay off the debt that he owes. That's what Christ does in the beautiful Trinitarian work of God in the gospel. It's not just God forgives you. He says, then Christ, you see my righteous son? Yeah, he's going to pay that debt off. Because only when he pays the debt off can then the full forgiveness come to fruition, Right? That's what Jesus is showing in this story. He's the payer of the debt. The person who understood the the crazy debt that was owed to the money lender. This woman realizes, man, yeah, I know I was forgiven by God, but someone has to pay off all my debt that I've accrued, past, present, and what I will accrue in the future. Who's going to pay it off? This man has. Let me show you by my adoration for him. I'm just going to kiss his feet. I don't care what I look like. Did you see my debt? All you guys know my debt. I was sleeping around, dirty, defiled. I'm clean. I'm made righteous. I'm living a new life now. Maybe some of you feel like the man who owes 50. I don't know. I don't think my debt's that bad. Again, compared to Paris Hilton, Hitler, bin Laden, I'm pretty good. You know what the scriptures will teach? That regardless of which person you are, hell is your payment to pay off the debt. Eternal conscious torment in hell. And you can either pay off your debt that way, or you can have Jesus pay off your debt for you. And Jesus steps in and says, hey, I'll I'll pay off his debt so he doesn't have to suffer. Not only suffer conscious eternal torment, but man, be one of mine, Be, be one of my kids." given a new kingdom, new family, be given righteousness. So, so here's the thing, both ways God remains totally holy, totally right, totally just. Because it's right for us to pay off the debt in hell and yet it's merciful and gracious for him to say, I'm gonna provide Christ to pay off your debt in full so you don't have to pay it off there. And it's a beautiful display of who Jesus is and he says, it is finished. Um, guys, what is your love for God like? What is your love for Christ like? I mean, this is a question that we need to ask all the time, right? Um, Have you left your life of sin in pursuit of Jesus like this woman? Have you left the immorality? Have you left the computer screen in pursuit of Jesus? Have you left all the things that you think are good that are chalking up a good ledger for you in pursuit of Jesus? Maybe for some of you, your love does not increase, it decreases over time. Why? You need to sort that out. Maybe some of you, you're not growing in humility. You're growing in real haughty arrogance. Why is that? You got to sort that out. Some of you, maybe you need to hear Jesus say to you this morning, Hey, do you see her? see that woman no 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 take a good look at her don't just look at her look at her see her when Jesus says do you see her he's talking about all that that means do you see what's happening in her do you see who she was and now who she is do you see a transformed life do you see scandalous grace do you see amazing mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness Others of you, uh, you feel so much shame, so much guilt, so much condemnation, and and you're like her going, yeah, my sins are many. Yeah, my my sins are many. I'm so aware of it. I'm aware of it. You don't need to tell me. You don't even even need to open up the scriptures. And there's forgiveness for you to pay the debt in full. That's the good news. Jesus, uh, in grace and kindness, says, come to the feet of the cross, and you can find forgiveness and wholeness and mercy and grace and righteousness in me. That's good news for you. It's great news for you. Trust Christ this morning. Lean into Him as the payment for your sin. Not God only forgives; it pays your debt in full. And then walk in community, and engage in the faith family, and settle in. Let's just pray and ask God for help. Wherever your heart lands this morning, I'm just thinking of some of you also, maybe. You need to hear Jesus remind you as you reminded the woman, yeah, you're still forgiven. Yes, you're still forgiven. Because the sustainment of your salvation and forgiveness not resides in what you do, but it resides in my keeping of you. And so, yes, you're still forgiven. Let the Holy Spirit graciously work in the areas and spaces that he might need to work if you identify with Simon, ask God to humble you, protect you from turning into something deadly to the church. If you can identify with a woman, ask him to humble you and show you your great, the great grace available to you for those who admit their sinners and in need of grace and in need of mercy, that there's room for you. For those of you that struggle with is it finished or not you need to hear him remind you that the debt is paid in full that Jesus paid it off some of you maybe you profess to be a Christian but your life looks nothing like that there's no change you're the woman coming in but it's a different story she's still just as promiscuous just as just living the same pattern of life Holy Spirit convict you and maybe cause you to confess where needed Father we thank you that you came that you came to shed your blood and break your body to die for sin to forgive our sin and pay our debt God as we take the Lord's Supper together as we remember this great act of you forgiving and paying off a debt may we see it as sweet again May it encourage our hearts. May it allow us and enable us to walk in newness of life. May we treasure you more than we do. May we well up with greater love than we do. God, push us where we need to be pushed. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. In Jesus' name, amen.